Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Kind World from WBUR. I'm Erica Lance. Today's story starts with an open wound. I wound both physical and emotional. And it starts when Dr. Shiva Kayambashi met Joe Nasworthy. Joe was on his stomach. He was lying prone on his belly because he had a huge wound that almost encompassed the entirety of his back. Dr. K, as she's commonly known, is a family physician at San Francisco General Hospital, a county hospital for underserved and often uninsured patients. Joe had just had several huge malignant melanomas excised from his back. The skin cancer spots had gotten so big because he couldn't see them and because he didn't have anyone in his life who would have noticed them. As soon as I crouched down and introduced myself, he just, in a way that I didn't expect, lit up as though he knew me and uh, smiled. Hi, Dr. Kayambashi. I was very surprised and taken aback by that kind energy about him. Dr. K was struck by the fact that Joe never complained about being sick, maybe because he'd been through worse. He really had a lot of hard things happen to him. Um, My guess is he had been homeless off and on, at least. And um, he made choices that he didn't feel proud of. Joe had suffered from chronic depression. Now he quickly became a beloved figure around Ward 4A. He helped patients cut their food, push people in wheelchairs, And because Joe had once been a musician, he'd sometimes sit in front of the nurse's station and play his guitar. There would be other patients who would actually come out and just sit there and listen and uh, close their eyes and just be taken away by it. There was such a gentleness to his nature. and, And I told him that a lot. I remember, you know, Joe, you are, how is it that you're such a kind soul? And, you know, he would blush. It was less than a year, but we were his family. By the end of the year, Joe's cancer had spread, and Dr. K had to tell him he didn't have long to live. He was calm about it, but said one thing that surprised her. I remember that he said, you know, the only thing I wish for was, would have been to see my daughter. Apparently, Joe had an estranged daughter. She'd been born with heroin in her system and was put into foster care as a baby. Then she was adopted, and father and daughter lost contact. He told me he really loved her. To the staff of Ward 4A, the mission was obvious. Find his daughter, Natasha Ambrose. Natasha remembers the phone call from Dr. K, saying her biological father was dying. It was a blend of emotions. It was shocking. It was a little shocking. And then went into, oh my gosh, okay, let me get the day off. I'll be down as soon as I can. Natasha, in her mid-30s by then, with a family of her own, drove six hours to the hospital. It had been two decades since she'd seen Joe, but that day, they talked for hours. 
they allowed me to sleep in the room with him that night and told me that it, that they were breaking the rules. It was important to them for his sake that I be there. Joe's health improved in the weeks after Natasha's visit. The two would talk by phone, and she arranged for Joe to enter hospice near her home. He was looking forward to meeting his infant grandson. And then I got another call. Joe had taken a sudden turn. Natasha needed to fly right away if she wanted to say goodbye. But Dr. K knew that finding travel funds would be a challenge. So the hospital staff pooled enough money to fly Natasha and her son to San Francisco. He was in a nonverbal state by that point, and I remember each of the nurses and me at varying times dropping into his room and saying, Joe, Natasha's on her way, and try to hang on. By the time Natasha and her son got there, Joe was pretty out of it. Put Mason on his lap and said, hey, here's your grandson. While the staff took turns watching the baby, Natasha sang to her dying dad. Lay me down. My dear brother, lay me They both loved music, after all. When I checked in on her, I think I perceived tears coming from his eyes, or tears filling in his eyes, and, and I saw tears, of course, from her. After a few hours, Joe took his last breath. Natasha was sitting next to him. Good night. Good night. My last words to him were, it was disappointing to not have known you. As I was growing up, but I'm glad to be here now. And that's when I pulled down his beanie and kissed him on the cheek. It was truth. The next day, the staff invited Natasha back to Ward 4A for a memorial. Twenty staff members sat in a circle and told stories about Joe. They totally rearranged my perception of who my father was. Here I was thinking, you know, he was a derelict alcoholic or drug abuser, but he was so much more. Thanks to the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare for helping us find that story. Dr. K was a finalist for their Compassionate Caregiver of the Year Award. You can find more stories and share your own at wbur.org slash kindworld.